You're listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network on BingeMedia.net. And now, the Binge Aftertaste. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. Gear up, bingers. It's time for the binge movie aftertaste. Fast and Furious Retrospective. Are you serious right now? Join Matt, Garrett, and Alex as they race through the entire franchise dedicated to fast cars and furious action. Stay the fuck out of my way. Where does each host come down on the series as a whole? Would you believe I knocked him out with my charm? You need that charming bitch. How has this franchise lasted this goddamn long? I need a refill. This is serious stuff. Will the hosts hate each other like The Rock and Vin Diesel by this retrospective's end? Sounds like a marriage. Yeah, but with cars, when you trade up, they don't take half your shit. Find out the answers to these questions and a whole lot more. All coming up, courtesy of Binge Media. Ow! I smell skanks. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, or Hobbs and Shaw, depending on where you live. Released August 2nd, 2019, budget was $200 million, box office of $760 million, and this was directed by David Leach. Alright boys, with a franchise that is as much of a behemoth as the Fast and Furious had become, was it fair to say that spinoffs were inevitable? Wait, 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 wait. I thought this is a comic strip adaptation. This isn't the one Calvin and Hobbes. No, no, this is Hobbes and Shaw. Okay. All right. I thought we were doing a comic book adaptation. Ah, Get off the stage. <laughs> Actually, is this the second spinoff? Wasn't there an, an animated one? I don't know if that counts in the spinoff uh, criteria. but What the fuck are you guys talking about? I'm already lost. <laughs> Was it inevitable? Well, wasn't Vin Diesel talking about this when they were doing eight? They said, oh, yeah, we're thinking about doing the spinoffs for Fast and Furious. And then eight comes out and then mm-hmm. it comes out that Vin Diesel and The Rock hated each other. And then this movie gets released. And all I do is I imagine Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez and Tyrese Gibson all with the red kal eyes just looking at this going, <laughs> oh, my God, they actually did it. This is the movie that Vin Diesel did not want you to see. And there's a reason why for that. (laughs) By the end of this. And yeah, that spinoff I was talking about is called Fast and Furious Spy Racers. It was an animated series on Netflix that came out in 2019. No shit. Yeah. You were I thought you were joking about no, that. No, 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 no. I I I've known about this and Hobbs and Shaw, of course, but this follows uh Tony Toretto, Dominic Toretto's cousin. 
Jesus. All right. I, I don't want to get that much deeper into this world. No. I love how the completionist um, even said, oh, fuck that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. Yeah, absolutely. I know. <laughs> I know. This show has been built around completionism. I'm, I'm, go, I'm resorting back to when you first asked me this, and we had the conversation once every year. Can we do Fast and Furious? Fuck no. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be honest. This was a movie that when Garrett released the schedule to the two of us, mm-hmm. I was the one who pointed out where's Hobbs and Shaw, or are we not reviewing it? It turns out Garrett actually just missed it as a technical goof, <laughs> largely because A, he's an outsider, and B, he'd never seen this before. Neither had the third person on this show, Alex. That's I'm right. the only one who saw this in a theater because obviously I would be there for the Rock and Statham. I thought they were really the only saving graces of eight. And mm-hmm. the development history of this, let, let's get into that a little bit. Yeah, You're absolutely. right, Garrett, that Mr. Diesel, the Dogfather, said in November of 2015, oh yeah, we're totally going to do spinoffs, but we'll try to figure out which ones, who's going to be the central focus, who's going to be available. And then this was announced in 2017. So shortly after 8 was released, it did pretty well, all things considered, even though none of us really liked it. The announcement was that Luke Hobbs and Deckard Shaw would be the main characters. Release date was set. And this did not sit well with Diesel, and it certainly did not sit well with Tyrese. If you looked at his Instagram page and his Twitter, he went on these massive tirades, just calling The Rock a traitor and all this all this other kind of crap. He really, I think, crossed a, a line when it comes to how we approach it. Because you're going to look at this from the perspective of Universal. Of all the characters who are going to get a spinoff, especially with Paul Walker being gone, Hobbs was the obvious choice. A, you could argue he saved this franchise, brought new eyes to it, and B, The Rock, no matter what project he attaches himself to, will always bring a certain audience and a certain charisma that people just want to see whatever he does, even if it doesn't turn out to be the best projects. Yeah, great point. And he was looked at. I I said it. I think I said it in Fast Five. I said that he revigorated this franchise. As much as Vin Diesel doesn't want to believe it, he was the one who made a lot of people come to see this at that time. He breathed a lot of much-needed life into this series that just became about raising a glass to family. And he had a charisma that you were gravitated towards. But one thing about The Rock that was interesting to me, and when I look at his resume of work, he is great as a supporting character. But when he's a main character, I don't really like him that much. So my interest in going to this was could he and Statham carry a movie? Because I look at Skyscraper, I look at San Andreas. These are movies I just, I don't like. Mm-hmm. Would he be able to carry this as part of a Fast and Furious spinoff? Can he make me like a Fast and Furious movie? These are things that just kind of went through my head right before I uh, turned the sucker on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of Dwayne Johnson's earlier stuff, the more character stuff, you know, like the rundown, uh-huh. uh, you know, before he starts fronting these huge action movies just by himself, you know, Skyscraper, you just mentioned, Garrett, those aren't really good. <laughs> I mean, some of the earlier yeah. stuff, like we were talking about, the chemistry he had in, in the rundown with Stifler and just the way that movie was written was just fantastic. Walking Tall, I thought, was pretty decent for what it was, you know, for basically a remake. So going into this, for me, I just had no interest in Hobbs and Shaw just because I was out of the Fast and Furious world and universe Mm -hmm. for a while. So I was just like, oh, a spinoff. This is a cash grab. They're just going for it. But doing these shows with you guys and breaking them down and nitpicking the shit out of them, I was looking forward to this because I'm in it. You know, I'm I'm in with both feet in. So let's see what this has to offer. So I was excited going into this. One, to finally scratch off the list for sure. Yeah. And again, the fact that there are at least a dozen producers 
credited on this thing, and Vin Diesel is not one of them. So he did not even want to cut a check for whatever this fucker was going to make. That was a curiosity to me as well. And plus, Matt, I didn't look at any behind-the-scenes stuff of this before the three of us talked last week, but mm-hmm. I had no idea that David Leach was the director on this. Yeah, me either. I have liked a lot of David Leach's stuff. So yeah, I was curious as to what they would do because, again, we still have the same fucking screenwriter on board. So offset by that, I wouldn't say I was excited, but I was curious. Mm-hmm. My excitement had nothing to do with the previous film because much like Alex, after eight, really disappointed me and god knows it did if you listen to that show i was kind of on the outs as far as my excitement going forward i kind of thought eight represented the idea of overstaying your welcome because i thought seven was the perfect way for this series Mm -hmm. to literally ride off into the sunset but there were a couple of developments that got me really excited before david leach was confirmed to direct variety reported that shane black was the one that universal wanted to direct this and as the shane black fanboy of this site now, he's the master of these, you know, mismatched buddies that don't get along in an action movie. Because I've always, I love pretty much everything he's done. Sure, absolutely. Uh, outside of, obviously, he turned this down to make his Predator movie and then got fucked over by the studio on that. So it's kind of unfortunate what happened. But once he was out, David Leach was the guy they turned to. And he was hired right before Deadpool 2 was about to come out. So I think the only thing he had done on his own at this point was Atomic Blonde, which I love. Ironically, with Charlize Theron, of all people. <laughs> yeah, I still haven't seen that one. Yeah, I like it more. I like it more than any of the John Wick movies. I'll put that out there right now. Wow, okay. uh, wow that might be a Patreon, Alex. I, might no, I like the, <laughs> I like the John Wick movies a lot. You wouldn't know because I wasn't on those shows. But mm-hmm. a time blood. Once you see it, Garrett, I think you'll see why I I like it a lot because okay. there's a lot of stuff that tickles my fancy. But I was excited that he was brought on to direct this. And of course, I saw the trailer on would have been i think i was on a plane of all places i think i was going somewhere and they were playing it on one of the tvs in front of my seat and i'm like okay i totally see this being within the confines of the fast and furious I'm like all right dialogues about what i would expect i wasn't seeing anything overly fantastical until i heard that idris Elba was playing a cyborg basically <laughs> and i was like what happening <laughs> I, because I, I keep telling myself in every movie, all right, what are they going to do to top the previous one? Mm-hmm. It's one of the most exciting components of when these movies actually come out. But I, I, I beg the question, I'm like, okay, how far is too far? And I think I've questioned that more so in the movies I don't like that much, especially six and eight of the core series. But going by the trend of I seem to like every other movie, this seemed mm-hmm. to fall right into place with that pattern. So I was like, all right, this might get the series back on track. Box office-wise, it didn't do quite the numbers of seven or eight, but still pretty respectable. $800 million for for an August release. Like, August is usually a dump month of the summer. Mm -hmm. That's when everything's dying down. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we keep starting yep. earlier and earlier the summer box office season. Yeah, now yeah. it's pretty soon it's going to be, you know, Valentine's Day is going to be the yeah. start of summer movie <laughs> yeah. season. Garrett, I'm sure you're excited, not because of Chris Morgan's name. This movie has a co-writer. It is not exclusively him. It's Drew Pierce, mm-hmm. who, speaking of Shane Black, co-wrote Iron Man 3, which I think is the best MCU movie by far. And he also was one of the story writers on Mission Impossible would have been Rogue Nation, so that's number five. So they definitely brought in a respectable person to work with Chris Morgan to kind of punch this up. Yeah. Again, I won't use the word excited. I will say the fact that we have different principles involved with this, we have people whose work I've respected in the past involved in this, gave me hope that 
this could be a fun ride that I honestly, and I, and Alex, you asked me last week, what are the, what are the, what are the scores tallied? I was going to tally those up for when we finally get to the end of this series. Mm-hmm. I just have not had a, a real good time on this series. So I'm thinking, okay, we're on the ninth fucking movie of this series. Can you please bring something that I'm going to have a really good time with? So the hope was actually there given who you just said was involved and David Leach. Yeah. I was curious. My curiosity is more so about hearing your guys' reactions, because this is the first time watch for both of you. Uh, let me ask the question. Have you both seen this more than once in the interim between recordings? Yes. Yep. I watched it the weekend. We recorded eight, and then I watched it about three days ago. So I do have a um, pretty fresh take on what we're about to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got my second viewing in just this afternoon. So, mm-hmm. yeah, super fresh. All right. Well, it's time to see if those fresh takes warrant good viewings for these two gentlemen what about you matt you saw this in theaters have you revisited it since is this something that you go back to i've seen it three times once in the theater once when it came out on amazon because usually when rentals drop you can get them for a decent price like it was like Uh two bucks i paid for an hd copy and then i bought the 4k because i knew we were going to do this series nice nice yeah wow because i've adopted i've adopted garrett's mantra this this shows how symbiotic him and i are ever since we started doing this show six plus years ago i start buying hard copies of everything yep same my, i have a whole shelf now dedicated to the movies that we've done. <laughs> there's a bunch that and you have to talk- hide in the corner it's like yes i reviewed these but i'm never going to watch them again <laughs> oh that lady in the water is going to be getting a lot of play on your player i'm sure uh <laughs> you're not going to yeah, be able I- to resell that garrett no <laughs> no buyer will take nobody it. will buy that fucker <laughs> And God, Lord knows those shelves are going to get really high here pretty soon. But yeah, you know, I bought this set and this was something that I was, again, I had never seen this. I remember Matt going to this and it actually did. I made a joke last week, but it's actually true that we were all set to record. And then Matt sends me a text saying, yeah, I'm I'm seeing Hobbs and Shaw. I can't record today. (laughs) And then I get those nice text conversations with Alex. Yeah, uh, the show's going to be delayed a week because my asshole co-host has to uh, go see Hobbs and fucking Shaw. And I did say the words, for the record, I'm going to state this to the jury. I did say the words, I have to go see this. I, yeah, I believe that is the quote. <laughs> no, let's dive into this sucker. So we open with something that really set me off on the wrong note. There's a terrible cover of Jim Croce's Time in a Bottle that kickstarts this movie. Yeah. It was really off-putting because I heard the opening guitar orchestration. I'm like, this sounds very familiar, but I can't place it. And then when the lyrics came on, I'm like... Good God, we just heard this song in X-Men like a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, I was I was thinking, I was like, didn't we just do a movie that did this song? And yeah, it was X-Men. So once we get through the opening title crawl with Universal, we cut to a bunch of MI6 agents in London, led by Vanessa Kirby, who sort of made her name the year prior in Mission Impossible Fallout. Okay. I think that was the, pretty much the first thing I had seen her and I really noticed her. Okay, that's what she was in, because I did not check that. I'm going to give the biggest compliment right away that I'm going to be giving this movie. They have finally found a female character worth giving a damn about in this movie. Because this chick, she has a lot to do here. She has to play the damsel in distress. She has to be a badass because she has some fight scenes. And she's the love interest of one of our principal actors. That is a pretty tough job for anybody in these films. And you know what? She's up to it, man. I dig her character a lot. She's fantastic, man. She's really good in this. I mean, you just laid it out, Garrett. I mean, she, she is spinning a lot of plates. And mm-hmm. she does it well. I think she, her characterization of Hattie Shaw, I think it's great. It, it, it's unwavering with her being put in all of those different situations. 
Absolutely. And, you know, David Leach, he had just come off Atomic Blonde. So he had directed this badass female character directly prior to this. So he kind of has a grasp on it. Yeah, I I remember watching this in the theater and I was like, I wish I had a time machine so we could go back in time and cast her as Black Widow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's a good call. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, hey, we got Superman in this movie, so why not invent a time machine while you're at it? thing I did not like, and it's the fact that her and Statham are playing brother and sister, and what are they, 21 years apart? Yes. Uh, and- <laughs> you know, me and my brother are 17 years apart, so it's not unheard of, but given what she goes through in this movie, as far as being a love interest of The Rock, it's kind of weird. It's also weird when you see the flashbacks of them as kids and they're almost identically the same age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. The more you call attention yeah. to it, if, if they had shown no flashbacks whatsoever, I'd be like, all right, I have to go with this. Like, all the stuff I've seen in this franchise, I'm not going to complain about each discrepancies among siblings. <laughs> it's just something I noticed. As Alex said, it's fun to nitpick these fuckers. It's <laughs> so true. <laughs> so this unnamed character who we're going to find out is Deckard Shaw's sister, because we already have the brother. We have the mother. We're going to throw in a sister. Why not? Because I'm going to cover all your bases. So they're all being brought in covert MI6 operation to take down and retrieve a super virus that is co-named Snowflake. From uh, Spectre slash the Syndicate slash <laughs> insert evil spy organization here. Because once again, this movie relies a lot on action tropes. It's almost like they picked some stuff. They retread pretty well. Some of it, it's like they pick out the bottom of a drawer that's been sitting there for years. And this super virus subplot mixed with a all-powerful, all-knowing organization that controls the media, it just feels tired. They couldn't mm-hmm. have come up with anything more creative to string this plot along yeah, it feels convoluted. It feels, as you said, Matt, it just feels old hat to me. I was expecting... And unnecessary, too. Unnecessarily unnecessary. convoluted, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah they, and, they and... just make the organization way too big for its own good. It would have been yes. fine if they didn't have to go into, like you said, manipulating the news and all that stuff. Uh, it was kind of cool to, to see just visually once the guys get into that situation and they see themselves on the screen and everything. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess yeah, I, I don't think it's needed. It's not needed. And, you know, these people started off as street racers. You know, that's mm-hmm. what the series started off as. And then they became street racers who became government spies. And now we are going into science fiction territory. And this franchise, it doesn't wear this well in this movie, honestly. It, this just feels too, as you said, Alex, unnecessarily convoluted. Yeah. And, and it's also stuff we've seen previously in that just as far as contemporary franchise that it's taking from we had a super virus in mission impossible 2 that movie also had like a rogue agent which is the interest elba character because he has a history with shaw you got to find the scientist who created it and you got the big i'll make the apt comparison once we get to the ending because there was something that i thought of it made me laugh i got a lot of mi2 vibes watching this (laughs) (laughs) yeah but what, what does not give off, you know, you guys mentioned it feels old hat and kind of ugly. One thing that's not ugly and one thing that someone can pull off is Idris Elba wearing a skin-tight leather suit. He looks straight out of Ryan Singer's X-Men movies when he first shows up. Yeah. <laughs> Idris Elba, you know, this is a guy who, when he was starting to get a lot of play out here, Alex, you and Law, I believe you guys covered Luther. Yeah, on the, absolutely. On the binge cast. Mm-hmm. And he has gone on. He was in Prometheus. He was also pretty much played a bounce in the fucking Thor movies. That's that's all he looked at, looked like to me in those movies. <laughs> when I saw that he was the villain, I was like, okay, this is an interesting bit of casting. And where they go with them, I'm glad that 
they got an actor who can probably pull this off. But when you have this writer and this actor has to read off his lines, Idris Elba just kind of feels a little wasted in this. I've said that about Idris Elba's almost his entire career as far as movies go, because you look at him, he looks like a leading man. There's a reason why people were joking he should be the first black James Bond. Obviously now he's certainly too old. I think that ship sailed. But Mm -hmm. he always picks roles where he's either in the background or his character doesn't have much to do. Like you mentioned, like he's... Very far down the totem pole in the Thor movies. He was the villain in a Star Trek movie, but he's buried under so much makeup that you can't even tell it's him. I think his best stuff has been like Beasts of No Nation when he does more like, you know, serious work where mm-hmm. he actually gets to act. Yeah, but, he can lean you know, you look into at his, Right. Yeah, you look at his Hollywood career, it hasn't been the best. And it's unfortunate The Dark Tower was a colossal bomb. And also it sucked, even though he was the perfect choice for Roland. And let's not forget, this is the band who said yes to Cats. So I have to, I have to knock him a bit for that. <laughs> God, Elba was in that? Fuck, I had no idea. He was, the, he was McCavity. He was the villain. Wow. But yeah, so how do we feel about him in this movie? Like, do we think he's, he's a step up from Charlize Theron? I, well, it, it, what he says makes sense. Whereas I didn't, I wasn't buying any of the criminal philosophies that Cypher had in eight. Mm-hmm. I buy wanting to build up super soldiers and superhumans in this one way more than what she was trying to put down in Fast 8. Yeah, definitely. I did dig the uh, Terminator vision he has when he looks mm-hmm. when he looks around. I thought that oh, was kind of yeah. cool. I just think overall, I, I do believe he was kind of wasted in this role. But it was a step up from Cypher. Yeah, and yeah, but I, for me, it's I like seeing the guy when he shows up in anything. And he seems to be having a lot of fun here. So it, it's kind of hard for me to just kind of shit on his role here and what he's doing. Mm. Because I, it, it, dude looks like he's having fun. And yeah. I buy it. I buy it. And I, I, I like the suit. Like, he looks great in the suit. Yeah. His eyes turn different colors. And the fight mechanics in this film is probably better than almost every Fast and Furious from the, from the main series. Probably better than any of them. Mm. And I don't know if that yeah. says a lot. It's just, it's really slick here. The way he uses the bike is fucking phenomenal. I love, love this bike in this film. Mm-hmm. You get the wrong actor in that suit, and it could be very silly. Me and Matt have actually talked about that in the X-Men series we did. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, he, you're right, Alex. He does wear it very well. Yeah. Now, that this begs the question. Alex brought up the fight choreography. I do think it's a step up just because David Leach, you know, this is mm-hmm. his expertise. I think yeah. that's why specifically he was brought in to do this, is that they wanted to polish up the, the action scenes. Because, honestly, there's quite a few in this movie, but a lot of them are not hand-to-hand fights. Right. They keep the spirit of this series even though it's a spinoff because there's a lot of vehicular stunts and chase scenes and things like that. But Brixton is literally a supervillain because we see he's got cybernetic implants. Garrett called it Terminator Vision, where it says attack Mm -hmm. probability 90%. It's really cool, but we got to ask, is this too far for Fast and Furious? Or do we just say fuck it at this point? Matt, Matt, that is the dumbest question you can ask on this series. Nothing is too far in this series. They're going to go to fucking space. The producers have already said it. Yeah. There's there's nothing that's too fucking far in this. And I, I was prepared for that, honestly. My thought going in was, okay, Justin Lin, he took it far. How far will David Leach take it? And will it be, I don't want to say plausible, but will it be something I can go with as opposed to how Justin Lin handled it in part six? Look, we've seen it in a hundred fucking Marvel films. This is a plot we have seen done over and over. We just haven't seen it in a Fast and Furious movie. So, no, I was not surprised or dumbfounded by how far they went with it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. On the one hand, it you know, is it too far? Well, we're already here, so it's right. not too far for me. And also, like when you really break it down, these guys are black ops. They're special forces. They got different clearance. They deal with Mr. Nobody. 
with these off the books contracts and missions and whatnot. So I don't, I don't think it's 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 too far. Maybe a little bit just of how Dom and the, and the family has progressed from the first movie. They just get into bigger shit, and it always just it always seems really just crazy and outlandish that they're going these places. But for these two characters, they should be used to dealing with cybernetic implants and mm-hmm. shadowy government agencies doing creepy shit and whatnot so i don't think it's too much for these characters it kind of fits in line if we're going to nitpick it in a bad way we got to nitpick it in a good way too because that kind of makes sense here yeah i think the espionage the militaristic components give this movie much more of a past yeah because they are absolutely this was a a mission impossible movie as an example i would not question it whatsoever so i think you guys are right on that front but hattie escapes with the super virus and injects it into herself which you're right that she has to wear a lot of different hats, but ultimately she's the MacGuffin of the movie, uh, <laughs> literally. So it's a little unfortunate they couldn't get around that exactly, point, but yeah. <laughs> I think they do their damnedest to get around it because she's certainly the best female character we've had. But you're wondering, where's the guys we came to see? Well, you get Brian De Palma-esque uh, <laughs> cuts in the middle with Hobbs and Shaw sort of doing their daily routines. Yeah, seeing these guys, you know, I still can't get over the fact that this motherfucker killed fucking Han. So we're seeing him make eggs in the morning, and I'm like, come on, I'm supposed to like this dude still. I know they worked to endear us to him in the eighth one, but the fact that he's the one who's going to be playing off the rock in this, oh my God, dude, you were out for blood two films ago. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, but you have to roll with it. Yeah. But God knows. I love how you see Hobbs is drinking raw eggs, Shaw's frying them, he's drinking beer. He still keeps a remarkable shape, despite the fact that he looks like He's eating like a depressed bachelor almost. Yeah, right, yeah. I'm surprised that, kinda, that this yeah, uh, and, opening and montage didn't start off with, My baby takes the morning train. Because <laughs> they're getting up <laughs> first thing in the morning. They're getting ready. They're ready to go to work. I do like the contrast here of The Rock wearing like a Motley Crue shirt and Jason Statham wearing the suave suit. You know, yeah, that yeah. was kind of amusing. Yeah, they're like but, silk pajamas. <laughs> Uh, and you're seeing, like, you know, they're they're intercutting. They're both doing some investigative work on their own fronts. Obviously, Hobbs is more brute. He beats the shit out of these people in, like, a motorcycle repair shop almost. And Shaw takes out a couple guys in a bar. Mm-hmm. So, doing now, a good job. What are we sh- watching here, Matt? Are we watching them investigate this virus? Or are we watching them on a whole other mission that we're coming into? I watched this movie twice, and I could not conclude either one while watching they- it. They're both separately informed of the virus and are doing okay. it on their own to try to track it down at this mm-hmm. point. Okay. All right. Some editing choices in this were really dumbfounding to me and made my head spin. Because we're going to see Ryan Reynolds give Barack the lowdown on it later, and Statham's going to get him later as well. But after watching it the second time, I'm like, wait a second. They were informed of it later, so what are they doing here? Yeah, I yeah, just I, I just chalked that up as that's whatever mission that they were on, whatever job mm-hmm. that they were given, they were going through okay. it then. And then afterwards, they get the call about the uh, super virus. Okay. Right. But what good is saving the day if you can't enjoy breakfast as The Rock is enjoying his cheat day, which this is actually from real life. This is what he does as one of his cheat days, just down a massive stack of pancakes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I follow him oh, on Instagram, really? and his cheat days are legendary. Yeah, he eats a lot of McDonald's on cheat days as well. In keeping lineage with the previous movies, he's with his daughter, which is nice. They're doing a good job of making it feel like part of the Fast and Furious crew. But she brings up, why don't you ever talk about Samoa? What happened there? I'll take future plot points for 800, Alex. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know what? I didn't think about that, though, here. Honestly, I just thought this was an endearing scene between these two. And, you know, I mentioned that 
she was a big highlight for me in part seven. I, I liked her sass. This is a different actress playing the characters at this point, but I still like the rapport between The Rock and this little girl. And so honestly, the first time I watched this, I didn't even think it was going to come back. I was just kind of going with it as, oh, she's just trying to find out about her heritage with her family tree project. Now, Alex, I both you and I have known Garrett for a long time, and we know what his preferences are. And I kind of wish I could have been in the room when you hear the voice of Ryan Reynolds off camera. As, as soon as, because I, I forgot he was in this because he's not listed in the credits. He's he's uncredited. Mm-hmm. And I know Garrett's not a huge fan. So it's like antimatter being compressed into a black hole yeah. because you're taking a property that Garrett already doesn't like and then you're putting in something he also doesn't like. Yeah, one of his worst character <sighs> actors ever. Yeah, I'm not. As soon as he shows up, I'm just like, oh shit, Garrett is going to, he's it, not going to be yeah, in there. Yeah, that's, that's my <laughs> It's been well documented. I'm not a fan of this guy. Let's go back to that X-Men retrospective. Go back to the binge cast where Cup got yelled at me for hating Deadpool for mm-hmm. two, two, three hours. I am not a fan of this guy. So, yeah. But when he appears on screen, I'm like, oh, obviously he owed David Leach a favor. You know, like, yeah, yeah. he comes on and he's honestly, I'll, I'll be honest right here. You know, he doesn't bug me here. He has to get a lot of exposition out. Yep. It'd be really weird to have a big name actor who's known to give great dialogue and in, uh, informative matters come on and bore the audience that this movie has come to entertain. So I get why he's here and it doesn't bug me here. It does bug me later on and I'll get to that one. Yeah, I've been saying that. I I, I love this guy's shtick. I'm a, I'm a big Ryan Reynolds fan. So like, I when he shows up and everything, uh, I'm just kind of I'm totally there. So wow, I think he works. I would not I, take I, you as a Ryan Reynolds guy. I like him, man. I like him, and I think he works well with the dynamic between Hobbs and his daughter. I think he fits perfectly in there. And he's also not on the team per se. Like he doesn't follow them around, which would have been just grating. He's here. It's a surprise cameo. It was not publicized, which I do appreciate. Just here to tell him, hey, there's this virus that I need you to go hunt down. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got some nice rapport. Although it's kind of creepy, the stalker component where he rips open his shirt and you see he has the same <laughs> tribal tattoo as The Rock does. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a fanboy, though. See, and that's why I was kind of going with it here. He likes what The Rock did in those previous films. He enjoys the thrust of this character. He enjoys, like a lot of people who watch these movies... He enjoyed what The Rock brought to this franchise. So, again, I was kind of going with it here because a lot of fanboys of The Rock are out there, and I just took him as another one of those. Going back to Ryan Reynolds, I did say, go back to Deadpool 2 review, I like Deadpool 2 more than I like Deadpool 1. And David Leach is here, and he's directing Ryan Reynolds, and it's endearing to me at this point. Were you as endeared to see Shaw talking to Helen Mirren, which is sort of the parallel to these scenes? Talk about distinguished actors in this franchise. I can't believe that I just said that, and we're having a Helen Mirren conversation right now. (laughs) It's so weird seeing her here. I know she just did this in Red, you know, a few years before this. And Alex, am I the only one whose head is just spinning at the fact that this chick is in these movies? Helen Mirren? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely somebody you don't expect. But Uh I, I also feel like they needed some kind of face and name recognition for it i don't know why but it's inconsequential for me i mean if she's in it fine if she's not in it fine but uh yeah i can see i can see where you're coming from with that yeah and and what's really weird and this is stuff that just probably inflates vin diesel's ego to no end is she 
was a fan of the series. And she said she wanted to be a part of it. I think she said it in an interview or something. And the producers were like, go get her. So she was a fan, which is why she's here. It's so weird to think somebody like Helen Mirren, an actor, <laughs> is such a fan of this series. It just flung me for for a loop. The Brits must love it, because let's not forget, Christopher Nolan is also a huge fan of this series. I would not take him as a Fast and Furious fan. <laughs> is he really? That's true. Wait, what? Yeah, he... Mm-hmm. he I'll send you the interview yeah, afterwards. Yeah, please, did, please. Like, I need to see that Im- immediately. And he talks about it the same way like he analyzes Memento for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's like watching mm. that. Like, it, it is amazing. Which, he better do number 10. If he's serious about this property, prove it. I'm not a Nolan fan, typically, as you listened to last year. But I would love to see what he does with Fast and Furious. Yeah, Wally Pfister has said that they've had conversations and he looks at Nolan like he's an alien from outer space when he starts talking about Fast and Furious. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's kind of insane. So my question is, who the fuck did Luke Evans piss off? Because of all the Shaw clan, he's the only one that's not here. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I felt the same way. Maybe he's on Team Diesel, you know? And he was just like, out of loyalty, I'm not going to be in your movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, or, or possibly, because who knows who's on everyone's side uh-huh. and whatnot. But yeah, you're right. It's weird that they're trying to endear us to Shaw, considering that he fucking killed Han, which has yet to be disproven at this point, because we all still believe he's dead. And he also murdered a hospital full of people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yet we have fumbling music in the background as he's going through the motions of his case before he meets up with his informant. It's just so weird what they've done with this guy. And I, I said that I wasn't looking forward to seeing him in this series. And now I almost feel bad for him because they literally don't know what to do with him. Well, we want to keep him here. But we don't want him to be the villain. Now, now we're just going to make him the fumbling sidekick to The Rock. <laughs> well, it's what happens when you get someone who's bigger than the franchise that they're involved in. That's what kind of happened with The Rock to a certain extent. By that, they had to reshape these later movies to make him a more important character. I feel like they've kind of had to do that with Statham, too, and I'm worried now that they've got Charlize Theron for the foreseeable future, they're going to do the same thing for her now. Yeah, I can can totally see that happening. Because Hobbs comes in as such a presence in Fast Five, but you just see, it's almost like they just keep on making a Xerox copy of him from Fast Five throughout the rest of the series up until Hobbs and Shaw because he becomes less of that person that we were introduced to in six and then in seven and then in eight. And you, you can barely recognize him in the, those later movies as that person who showed up as this like impossible force just yeah. because he, he needs to be Dom's sidekick because it, it's all just top down from Dom. Whereas here, I mean, I really like him just on his own here. As opposed to, yeah. I, th- I think this is the best characterization of Hobbs since Fast Five. Because I, I just don't think his character, don't get me wrong, fucking The Rock is great. But I just don't think his character holds a candle to what he did in Fast Five. I don't know, man. Him breaking that cast in Seven is a top 30 moment wow. for me in that. Yeah. Oh, and then ripping the yeah, fucking, yeah, the Gatling gun off of the yeah. helicopter. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, you <laughs> know what, that's, were, a, that's a damn moments. good point. That's a damn good point. But to go back to that character, I, he wasn't in that movie a long time, though. He was in there, he was in the hospital, and then he was gone for like an hour and a half, and then he breaks the cast, and you know what? Yeah. Except that, but yeah, that's a a really good point. That's a good point. I see what you're saying, but that also goes back to what I said about him being a great supporting character, not necessarily a good centerpiece to a movie, Hmm. and that was a huge curiosity I had going in. Will he handle it? And at this point, you know, between his scenes with his daughter, 
and what we're talking about now, I do still like him uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to those other movies I've seen him in, like Skyscraper and such. I'm like, man, yeah, those are, you're, those you're are bad. great as a sidekick, but dude, don't be the centerpiece of this thing. As Hobbs meets with his own contact with Ryan Reynolds, Shaw meets with his, who gives him the dossier with a picture of his sister, and they're told they have to work together, to which this is where we get the, these guys don't get along cliche. Straight out of like Lethal Weapon. And these guys are just trading barbs back and forth like two high school kids on a basketball court. I just wish they wrote better one liners for the two. I do too. I, I'm yeah. right there with you. This is that Shane Black DNA that we need right here. So mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense that he would be involved in this to begin with because. This is definitely his style and everything. I wish those one-liners were better. And to be honest with you, I wish they were delivered better. I like them. I I like these guys jawing at each other. I get it. I did have a little bit of a problem with how long the antagonistic relationship goes, though. So I'm like, didn't Fast 8 end pretty amicably? I don't remember them having a huge falling out, but then all of a sudden they're at each other's fucking throats at the beginning of this movie. Right. And the length of this film is a detraction for me. I think it's just far too long. And I think this is the reason why. We don't need a setup of these two guys jawing at each other and then getting back on the same page again. It's like we've already been through this. Yeah, completely with you, Alex. Yeah, and a lot of dick humor here, too. I didn't laugh. I wasn't smiling as much in this as I was even in Fast 7, you know, when these two were jawing back and forth and Statham had the baby that he was protecting and everything. Like, that stuff was kind of working for me, and I was having to kind of eat my words about what I was saying about Statham, but here I was not going with this at all. Hobbs and Shaw are told that they have to track down the virus and have to work together whether they like it or not. Deckard goes to his sister's apartment looking for information. Turns out Hobbs has already run into her. She's wearing like this disguise. She's got like this red wig and big glasses. She looks like fucking Cruella DeVille when she's walking down this hallway uh, <laughs> outside. Call. Yeah. But as Deckard walks in, he fights some guys. And this reminds me a lot of John Wick. There's that first fight in John Wick when they go to his house mm-hmm. mixed yeah. with the red circle fight. Because if you notice, there's a lot of neon lights in this sequence inside oh, the yeah. apartment yeah. that's flashing and a lot of quick cuts. You know, it's darkly lit. Obviously, it's shot much better than anything that's an 8, but I think Leech is struggling a little bit with the PG-13 restriction. Yeah. Because there's only so much you can show and still keep that rating. Mm -hmm. And this is a guy who worked exclusively. John Wick films are hard R. Deadpool 2 is a hard R. Atomic Blonde. I don't think it's as graphic as those but it, it earns its rating oh wow atomic blonde is r2 huh yeah yeah i'm definitely with you on that i got a lot of feeling that he was restricted and with the exception of the stunts which are again up to par as we mentioned earlier this doesn't feel much like a david leach film honestly but this scene of them in the neon lights and stuff did have that john wick feel which i did kind of dig but you're right the restrictions of it everything that made the john wick movies actually work for me is not working here because of the restrictions so Deckard's able to save the concussion grenade from exploding just by grabbing the pin. One of my favorite cliches, it's kind of a neat reference to Lethal Weapon 2, considering he's in a toilet and it's about to explode. Mm-hmm. They get back to the CIA black site. Hobbs brings Hattie with him, and that's when we get the reveal that, at least to Hobbs at least, that it's the sister of Deckard, even though he never says, how come you guys are so far apart in age, as we previously commented. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, we did kind of get teased with this earlier because you mentioned that Statham had seen the picture that it was his sister, but we don't know what he is seeing at that point. We don't know 
what we're building up to. We don't know if this is his sister's. So when it is revealed, it was just like, okay, here's another part of the soap opera that is the series. You know, they have to put these soap opera elements in. Yeah. I'm like, you sure that's not his daughter? <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. <laughs> You're not kidding. But uh, are we to the part where they're fighting yet or no? Pretty much, yeah. Because once they get back, they all pull guns on each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. puts her on the table and it looks like he's about to dry hump her. But you know what? It's not like they made her look like she's formidable against him. You know, they they have this little oh. fight. And she does have him by her legs. But then The Rock just picks her up like one <laughs> arm. I love that moment. <laughs> Yeah, I do too, actually. Um, it kind of foreshadows what he's going to do with the helicopter later on. But uh, he's picking up with this arm, and I'm like, okay, they're not going to try to tell me that this skinny blonde is going to take this dude on. He's still the fucking rock. Yeah, uh, but before you can say, oh, yeah, Brixton and company crash in like the Kool-Aid man. Yep. Because this movie is all about contrast between our two heroes. I laughed so hard when Hobbs literally jumps out of a building at full speed lands on another guy on top of a glass roof, crashes through, and is totally fine. Meanwhile, Shaw just gets in the elevator. It just takes it down. They get around not having little F-bombs because he's mouthing fuck you as he's hitting as he's hitting him on the side of the elevator. See, I like the jokes that are not said. I like the visual stuff, they mm-hmm, do, ironically. Mm-hmm. That plays a lot better than some of the quips. Like, no one tells me what to do. You know, when they do the countdown and right. fucking... <laughs> Are we, are we at that point? We're at that point, right? Where Pretty they, much, yeah. Yeah, where they jump. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This series, ever since Dwayne Johnson was included in it, this series loves to throw him on top of cars. Yep. <laughs> I mean, and I get it. He's just a big dude. It's like, all right, well, what would happen if a big dude threw himself off a fucking roof and landed on a car? The whole spectacle of it all, this series loves doing that to him. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, guys. What do you guys feel about this rappelling off the building moment? This is something that I was kind of looking forward to with David Leach. You know, how would he handle these action scenes? Because I do love the John Wick action scenes, as we mentioned in those shows. I don't know. I felt something, like I said in a lot of the previous Fast and Furious films, I felt something impersonal about this. I didn't really like this scene off the building that much. I kind of like the sequencing of, I thought it was pretty creative from the roof, like shooting those rappel ropes off of the building and have them go down at the same time as the guys are jumping off the building and catching them at the same time. I thought that was pretty slick. Matt, was this in 3D in theaters or no? No, I think the 3D craze died off around this time to be honest all right i I would imagine this would probably look kind of cool in 3d if it was Mm -hmm. there but yeah i i was not propulsed at all by this action scene i thought it was kind of weird propulsion is the key word with the action scenes in this movie and part of it is just that much like the runtime in general this movie really needed an editor to really trim these scenes down Mm because it's at like an eight for most of it but there's never those moments where they take it to a 10 because you get the fist fight where they get their asses kicked, and this is where you see like Brixton is literally a Terminator, you know, the Albinator. I don't know whatever you want to call him. <laughs> nice. And he's got, you know, I'm pretty sure we're also getting a crossover with the Transformers because I'm pretty sure the reveal oh, is going to be that yes. his motor, that his motorcycle was a Decepticon. Yeah, I heard the Transforming sound effect every single time. It's definitely in this, and that's another series that I did get some vibes from. Yeah, you know, lot of slow motion. They drive the motorcycles underneath mm-hmm. the semis. Hobbs and the Shaws manage to get away, but it turns out that Etienne is able to broadcast literally on the equivalent of Times Square, basically, in London, mm-hmm. that they're wanted fugitives. They were framed for stealing the device, and these really bad Photoshop pictures of them, their bug shots. Yeah. Yeah. Cracks <laughs> me up every single time for, for this to happen. The Photoshop's worked better, and the CGI worked better in fucking The Running Man. 
and they're putting fucking Arnold's <laughs> face all bloody. Yeah, and, shit and now this end. is you know we talked about how they stole from Mission Impossible Two. This is the plot of Mission Impossible One. Oh yeah, good call. <laughs> and we got one of the actresses from Mission Impossible Six. Yeah, and absolutely. the screenwriter and one of the screenwriters from Five. So I'll, I'll have to yeah. think about three and four comparisons, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> So once they're framed and get away in a nice McLaren, I might and I say those are some British sports cars, so not surprised they show up here. So the three decide they have to locate the professor who created the virus, who is played by the great Eddie Marsan. Most people know him from Edgar Wright's movie The World's End. He also has a small role in Deadpool 2, so I can see why David Leach kind of grabbed him. They kind of coerce him at a newspaper stand of all places, because apparently this movie takes place in 2019, but our newspaper stand still a thing. Oh, my God. This movie is such a 90s throwback. It forgets about contemporary things that don't exist anymore. The Batman 66 flu thing in this movie is ridiculous because they're like, oh, yeah, I know that newspaper stand. And then we cut to the fucking newspaper stand. I'm like, come on, guys. You can't do any better than this. I know this movie's over almost two and a half hours. We won't need to drag it out anymore. The professor basically tells them that the virus was created to deliver vaccines because Etienne's big goal is, I gotta check my notes here, uh, th- this genius idea that we've never seen before called eradicating humanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is um, Infinity War, isn't it? This was Thanos' plan. No, because Thanos only wanted to kill half of all life. He didn't want to okay. get rid of all of it. All right, so we're, we're, we're stopping at that crossroads, but God, <laughs> how many times have we seen this fucking plot point? I I, I I lost track. Like I said, this movie is such a 90s throwback in every way that this feels like the kind of movie Will Smith would have made during his heyday. Oh, good call. But, you know, as far as tone, as far as mm-hmm. the excess, like it feels like a 90s Bruckheimer the production excess, almost. The quips, all that. Yeah. 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 Some of them are funny, but most of them are pretty childish. Like I think of, I'd say like the first Bad Boys and Independence Day kind of fall into that mantra. I just wish they were as funny as what we get in like Men in Black as an example. <laughs> Yeah. So he tells her that the only way to get rid of the virus is to either cremate her or they have to use this like special extraction device. But it turns out Etienne has that device. So now we have our infiltration component of this spy movie. Nice touch that's in Chernobyl of all places because obviously bad shit happens over there. But before that, they have to get on a plane to physically go to America. So they get fake passports. Speaking of dick jokes, the one that made me laugh was his God. name. It was like Mike Ox too small or something like that. Mike Oxmall. Mike Oxmall. Is, is yeah. Mm-hmm. I fucking hated this. <laughs> I groaned so loud. This is why me and Matt will never do comedy series on this show because of this. This was so stupid. I don't laugh at fucking dick humor. I'm sorry. I, I groaned at this. Yeah, I thought it was. It's a shitty joke, but the one thing I do like about it is that they're both on this mission together and they're still just fucking with each other the entire time. I love how even though they're wanted fugitives, they lose the disguises and are in plain sight on this plane. Oh, yeah. Uh, plain sight. God damn it. And and Garrett, unlike you, I don't groan when I hear about dicks. So maybe that explains why. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Yeah. He got me on that. <laughs> Now, speaking of cameos, the deputy marshal comes in to kind of give the two some background. And Garrett, how you feel about Ryan Reynolds is how I feel about Mr. Kevin Hart. Yeah, a little of him goes a very long way. I've never finished Central Intelligence. I'm the same way with Kevin Hart, too. I didn't like this part at all. I'm like, we already have Ryan Reynolds here. Do we really need a fucking Kevin Hart cameo as well? And there's just way too much. Matt, we talk about on the Ghostbusters. They almost had Eddie Murphy as the fourth Ghostbuster in that series. 
and that would have been just way too much people hogging the screen in that and trying to crack these jokes in. It was it just would have been too much. Here, Kevin Hart is that hint of too much. My problem with the Kevin Hart thing is that he has a very similar comedic relief as Ryan Reynolds' character does. They yeah. kind of talk, they kind of talk, talk in the same like pitter patter. They're goofy, and I've seen Kevin Hart and, and some. I, I guess I, I like his stand up. I don't really know a lot of his movies or anything, but I'm kind of surprised. Like as a stand up comedian, he didn't bring anything else to these little moments. Yeah, and I made the comparison to Super Bowl commercials, where you know Super Bowl commercials are funny in that they will go on for minutes and minutes, and you still won't know what the fuck they're advertising. And Kevin Hart's here, and he's giving his little quips. I still don't know who the fuck he works for. I don't know what he's doing here this was so fucking stupid kevin hart i don't know if he was filming something on set and the rock was like hey man i know you from central intelligence and uh, jumanji why don't you come film this with me okay and then we get this <laughs> yeah it, it had that feel to it i think you just answered your own question as to why he's here there you go just you know scratch my back i'll get on a step ladder and scratch yours because kevin hart <laughs> <is ridiculous. laughs> uh see i should have written the barbs in this movie yeah you should have you should have yeah. you and shane black just saying. yeah yeah so it turns out that on their way over there, Brixton has captured the scientist and he's basically, you know, trying to, and they say that like, you know, I need her alive and, and all this stuff, much like, you know, some other spy movies, they get there and Shaw has a old contact that he uses to get them into the actual facility. I believe it's Deckard's like former girlfriend or something. Something like that. Yeah. So they break in and we get, this was sort of the big showcase scene in the first trailer is first they drop out of planes into the reactors that are dormant. And let's mm -hmm. point out that they are so superhuman that you would theoretically, just based on distance, you would have to open your parachute significantly earlier than they do in order to not break your kneecaps. <laughs> yeah, this was the big highlight in that trailer. And I'll say it's the highlight of this film too. I do like this scene. Yeah, I'm a fan. And then they both, you know, that's my door, pick another door. He's like, nope, no, no tag backs. And yeah. one, of course, one hallway's got 8,000 people for Statham to fight. The Rock's just got one big guy. Well, of course, he takes down with one punch because, you know, that's a gag we've seen mm -hmm. um, numerous times. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's not really that creative, except for the access denied gag, punching the guy's head into the um, the retinal scanner. I'm not going to lie. I, I dug that. Did you really? I fucking I, I this. fucking, I love that. I thought it played well. I, did you I, really? I, yeah, I did. Because... <laughs> Because it doesn't just stop at the one guy. It keeps going. And then he's just got a pile of guys that he's used their faces to try to get through for access. And there's just a fucking pile of them by the end of the scene. I'm a fan. I liked it. But because they can't figure it out after one, like, we got to go through the entire thing over and over again. Ugh. This was just too drawn out for me. Once would have been fine, mm -hmm. but we're, we're seeing it like over and over. And Leach just, his editor is playing this over and over. And I'm like, God damn, like, this is way too much. <laughs> they manage to break in and they're surrounded by a bunch of Brixton's guards so they're all held at gunpoint and they're tied up we get our James Bond-esque torture sequence where they're both I like the irony that they're hooked up to a car battery of all things oh shit yeah I didn't even yeah make that connection that's that's, that's fucking hysterical yeah <laughs> And they're still it, just, guess. they're still badasses. They've both been in this situation before, you can tell. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not all that worried about it. Yeah, and they're still talking shit to each other, even though they're exactly. both, like, getting mm. extremely concentrated amounts of electricity coursing through them. They still want to talk shit to each other. Because mm -hmm. the power of hatred conquers all. But apparently not the power of vengeance, because nope. this guy's still roaming around. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. So, I'm enjoying this on, on a level... 
of, like I said, like those 90s, those lesser 90s action movies. The 90s in particular, you had different tiers. You had your classics like Terminator 2 and Speed, stuff like that. And then you have your middle tier ones like Demolition Man, you know, some of those, the ones that are not as well known. I feel like this is a, a decent cover or a companion piece of those kind of movies until I was reminded of the chair gag from True Lies, which is what they take the scene from, how they get out. And now we got... A lot of James Bond references, too, because this is the... She tries to shoot him, but it's a gun that you can only fire with the palm print, which is right out of Skyfall. Mm-hmm. She's tied up on this, like, Goldfinger-esque death trap virus extractor, which I kind of enjoyed. <laughs> Your guys' fucking Bond and Mission Impossible references are amazing. Because <laughs> I, I know you guys you guys have done the retro, so you have already been knee-deep into it. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just amazing. The recall yeah. is just amazing. <laughs> I'll speak in the 90s, the total recall, if you will. Exactly. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but the one thing the Bond movies do not have is a flamethrower-wielding Eddie Marsan scientist coming through and just laying waste to everybody. Not yet, anyway. Wait for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you would never see like Desmond Llewellyn wield a machine gun in any of the Bond movies. Like, you never saw that. <laughs> now they got this breakout sequence where they're all trying to go after each other because Hattie still has the virus in her. They didn't extract it. So this kind of reminded me of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull when she's jumping on top of all the... Um, the storage containers. Oh, um, yeah. And, you know, because they, they get in a car at one point, which is sort of like Crystal Skull. I don't mean to just keep, keep comparing this to other movies, but it's kind of hard considering there's no originality in this at all. Yeah, no, mm. I, I hear that for sure. That's what you get when you have this quote-unquote buddy cop comedy. You know, you're, you're seeing a whole bunch of things that we've seen before, and it's hard not to compare it, Matt. I'm not blaming you for doing that. I watch it, and I think the same thing, and I don't know if it's because of oversaturation. I don't know if it's because this was a type of movie that I just would have loved when I was 12, 13, when I saw the first Lethal Weapon. But at this point, I'm just like, God, okay, I've seen that, I've seen that, and... The Rock's quips and everything are enough to keep me engaged because now his whole solo film act is once again coming to light for me. And I'm just, I'm not jiving with this. I do like how they keep consistent with the previous movies where Hobbs has to grab the biggest vehicle possible in order to just (laughs) fuck up the landscape of Chernobyl, which at least it's not a sunny day. It's literally just like they shot on a Saturday morning for food. Because, like, they're fighting in, like, what looks like a abandoned refinery, which is pretty much what this is. They're fighting Brixton on top of the car once again. They get their asses kicked again, although it's not as severe as it was the first time. Leech does some cool stuff with the slow-mo of them being punched. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The monster truck, almost, that, that the Shaws are in when it flips out of the window. thought that was pretty cool. But, yeah, it's perfectly serviceable action. I don't think there's anything in here that's remarkable or par with what leech had done previously but he had a lot of masters he was trying to serve on this production yeah that's yeah it definitely seemed like that and this scene is yeah the weirdest and fastest go ahead alex sunrise i've ever seen in my life (laughs) yeah that sunrise was not just fast it was also furious it was quite furious matt it was quite furious it's the strangest sunrise i've ever fucking seen in a movie before (laughs) because it happens so quick it's dark and then all of a sudden they're fighting in the sunlight it's fucking weird Garrett, speaking of movies we reviewed, it's the inverse of Magneto moving that bridge in X-Men 3 and suddenly it's nighttime. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, I that's completely, point. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mentioned your guys' recall on the, the Mission Impossible and Bond franchises because you guys have already done it. X-Men, too. You guys are yeah. crazy with these X-Men references. This is amazing. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to sit back and listen to you guys fucking talk about right, this because this is Here's amazing. the thing, Alex. 
Because I had a question for you. I had a question for you in my notes. Yeah. So even at this point, like the, the Rock has, he's had his quips and we've had a couple wrestling references sure. at this point. Mm-hmm. You as least indulged in the wrestling culture, how are you feeling at this point? Are you actually into this movie or is all the stuff, like all the wrestling references and everything else kind of getting? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I, I like to play the heel as it were, when it comes to, when it comes to wrestling. So, um, no, I, dude, I've, I'm loving every moment of it. Yeah, oh, wow. th- this is definitely, definitely hitting my funny bone as far as that goes. This is definitely hitting it, that exact thing for me to be entertained throughout this movie. Okay. So, yeah, it's definitely hitting. What's not hidden is the ulterior motives of The Rock, because I'm pretty sure one of his requirements for this movie was to go to Samoa to give <sighs> some representation of a populist, let, let's be honest, the Fast Fear is one of the things that's done really well is diversity. Sure. Without being blatantly in your face. And I, I Until I saw this movie, and I was like, yeah. this feels incredibly self-serving. Yeah, it, it's very forced because, I, you know, as the, uh, <laughs> as the one minority, I guess, on this uh, podcast, I do appreciate that. I, I do appreciate – because you can see the finger on the scale of Hollywood when they try to introduce diversity. You can see the thumb on the fucking scale. You're like, okay, I see what they're doing here. But you're right, Matt. The diversity in this entire franchise, in the Fast and Furious main franchise, has not been forced. If anything, they've gone the other way. They're globetrotting. They, they go to all these different locales with different cultures and different music and whatnot, bringing people in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. So, all of a sudden, we're in a live-action Moana <laughs> right now. You're welcome. <laughs> Look, I... I, I we all watched this multiple times. I watched it this afternoon for the second time. Uh-huh. And it still seems like this comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I have to go somewhere where I don't want to go. And then we got to Samoa. But you know what? This series, this is what gives it the Fast and Furious DNA, right? Because, all right, there's a little bit of car culture here. But what was the other big element of that series? Family. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we are kind of shoehorning that into this movie by the end it does feel a little electric company-esque i guess you could yeah. say where okay. yeah oh my god you know like the importance of family is what's going to get us through and you know we have the mom having all this comedy and i guess of all these characters i did kind of like the mom a little bit but yeah it's just like okay let's take the action somewhere else oh yeah samoa because the rock is a producer on this movie i did see that and then he kind of wanted to pay homage to that and by the way his actual mom did say in interviews i don't know if this was for press or whatever mm-hmm. but she did say that she cried at the scene that they actually included this because you don't see yeah. the culture represented that much in a hollywood production so i do kind of respect it for that but just in the context of this movie in the context of where we are it, it just felt like a slap in the face. yeah yeah gary it's coming from a really good place it's coming from a really yeah, good place good point. but it's yeah. it's very it's it's very rushed you know like we said mm-hmm. it, it just it, it just kind of comes out of nowhere i'm okay with it. It, it it's fine and we get the family thing first and then we get the cars later yeah <laughs> which is weird because they're they show up at this tiny island and they're just exporting all these amazing custom cars okay and it's also self-serving in the fact that one of them is played by his cousin roman reigns yeah so that, that's kind of my you know i see the self-service component but you know i appreciate wanting to give light to a culture that's not really represented what also made me laugh is that this is like the eighth movie where cliff curtis has played a race that he technically is not actually in real life. Because what whatever race you need, something that's not white, just get Cliff Curtis. What's funny is, we've already reviewed him this year, Matt. Yeah, I know. He was, 
he was in the last airbender i had to put that together i'm like where have i seen this guy before and, uh, then, and i'll admit i paused the movie to check his imdb sure as shit that's where i saw him we reviewed <laughs> him in the last airbender <laughs> and this guy's a great actor i love this yeah, he is. Is. like oh, yeah he's, he's a- such a great he is such a great character actor where he shows up and you're like, oh, fuck that dude. I love that guy. Uh-huh. And he's played mm-hmm. so many iconic roles and so many different nationalities, like you guys say. And as somebody who's a nondescript uh, complexion, I guess, I totally get this guy. I totally get to say, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, we, he's a utility brown dude. Yeah, let's just throw him in. <laughs> It's like, you know, like, uh, I had this joke for a long time where, you know, I would go to a 7-Eleven and they wouldn't even ask me if I was X, you know, fill in the blank nationality. It's what part of fill in the blank country are you from? And it would be <laughs> India. It'd be Iraq. It'd be Iran. It'd be all of these god. different countries and never Mexico. Oh, my God. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's not so something I take great. offense to. I, you know, I, I take no. that as a compliment. So I'm like, oh, you know, that's, that's cool or whatever. But I love this dude for that same reason. They're just like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, he, uh, the role calls for someone vaguely brown and <laughs> ethnic. So I think, Cliff Cur- Curtis, you're a perfect part for this. And he's just like, fuck it. Give it to me. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Alex, have you been mistaken for Samoan? The smallest Samoan, who the skinniest Samoan who's ever fucking lived, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about Samoans. You're either really heavy or you're really ripped. Yeah. The, yeah. There's no in-between. But they go to Samoa. Cliff Curtis is his brother, who, of course, is a mechanic. <laughs> let, let, let's be perfectly honest. They had to crowbar justification for them to go visit yes. his family. Even though they could have just gone to Tej, who would have been nice to see yeah. an actual character from the series. Yeah, uh, Tej yeah. was a genius in the, the previous movies in the series. Why couldn't we believe that Cliff Curtis would be the genius of this? Mm-hmm. Look, and you, you failed to mention, Matt, that you know the reason why he is so looked down upon in this country is because he turned his dad in. And so now he has this 25 years of frustration, and it's all solved with a punch and a hug. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And maternal maternal wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do love the gag, where are all the guns? Oh, I sold them all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, we, we, got, we got to turn this into Return of the Jedi all of a sudden. There's another reference. You know, we, we're, we're on Endor, and now Stole we have my no weapons. Fucking to... joke, <laughs> sorry. Ah, oh, goddamn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I even teased it in the first 20 minutes. I'm like, I have another comparison. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we're, we're an hour and 20 in. We're leading up to it, Garrett. Goddamn it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, man. So much for blowing the surprise. I know. Let's see. Return of the Jet. All right. So instead of Return of the Jedi, I was going to say a bug's life where they fight the grasshoppers at the end. Oh, there you go. Fucking great call, dude. That is a great call. Fucking love it. Yeah, let's see. Bug's life, which took it from Magnificent Seven, which took it from Seven Samurai. Yeah. It all fucking connects. (laughs) It's a really, I mean, if you really want to go to it, it's a Three Amigos thing, too. Yeah, which is also... The comedic version of Seven Samurai. <laughs> exactly. Our branches are looking like the Rocks family tree at this point. Like, oh, boy. We're, we're branching way out. Yeah. You mean ethnically ambiguous? <laughs> <laughs> and they're able to do all this in a handful of hours. Like, Garrett, you're right. The only thing that's missing in this movie are fucking Ewoks. Like, yeah. So, of course, the bad guys show up. They took the Sky Falcon seat of let's do it on the hero's home turf. Uh, instead of the villains 
mm-hmm. going to the villains, but we'll do it here. There's a lot going on in these last 20, 25 minutes. You get some shootouts, you get some bizarre dance moves. I half expected them to start doing DDP yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is bringing in a culture that isn't represented on screen. So I, I kind of went with it, but yeah. the, the shoehorn part, I still wasn't getting. Yeah. And the longer it goes on, you know, the virus is starting to manifest within Hattie. So she gets captured by Brixton. So of course, Hobbs and Shaw have to chase after her through a ring of fire. We get the money shot from the trailer where I was like sold when Hobbs takes a chain off of a car, hooks it to a helicopter, hooks it to a, it's monkeys in a barrel with cars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, how's that for a Toy Story callback? There you go. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and the reason why I asked you about 3D was I, I would imagine a scene like this would be amazing in 3D, if done yeah. right, honestly. Yes. But this was kind of thrilling. I did kind of like this scene. It was a big part of the trailer. You know, and then obviously the rock grabs it one fucking arm and pulls it down. It's amazing. But, uh, it's incredible. Oh, it's so amazing. And at this point, I'm kind of in towards the uh, climax of this film. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's absurd, but fuck it at this point. I, I, although I do love they, they go back to fast. I think the second one where they do quick cuts into going into the engines of the cars. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought that was pretty cool. And suddenly, speaking of Return of the Jedi, this helicopter has the same accuracy of a stormtrooper because they're firing missiles and can't yeah. fucking hit them. This is the elite cyber terrorist. Yeah, the best group of the too. best. It's the best of the best here. <laughs> And for some reason, we have to make even more conflict here because their guns are turned off or something. They're going to be offline for like six minutes or something. Right. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're yeah. creating more suspense here, more ticking clocks. Do you um, like that part, Garrett? You know, it, it just, I don't know. At, at this point, Alex, we're two hours in. Mm-hmm. I want the fucker to end, honestly. I hear like, you. I hear if you. If this had been about 20, 25 minutes less time, I would have mm-hmm. probably been with it. But I was kind of like, okay, let's throw more conflict and let's elongate this even more end it already it's a really good plot tool and uh-huh. but there's just so much surrounding it and in between when it's introduced and when it really makes sense mm-hmm. that it, it's just kind of lost it does build the suspense you're right i wish it was more of a suspense though i, I wish it was a deeper more hard-hitting suspense yeah that's a good way of calling it because you kind of it, it's not that you forget about it but it, it's just doesn't have that play when the spectacle is going on the entire time. Mm-hmm. I also wish they had done it with characters that we had known for more than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good point as well. And it, it goes back to what you guys have said. This, is, this feels very, very rushed. Maybe have this entire movie take place on Samoa. All of this just feels very, very condensed. And again, the editing I have major problems with as well. So I was just wanting it to end. Well, you get your wish because they get into a big fist fight in the rain. Which I got Matrix three flashbacks of all yes, things. Yes, sure, absolutely. absolutely. Um, yep. mm-hmm. Although I wanted to stand up and cheer because in the seventh movie, The Rock gave Jason Statham the rock bottom. Here, he German suplexes Idris Elba onto a fucking rock. Yeah, and it's kind of cringeworthy because even though we know it's obviously an effect or a stunt, that's not a good position to be in. Yeah, no, not at all. And David David Leach does a lot of slow mo here as well. I saw a featurette on this, and you know how they do this slow-mo stuff? Hmm. They literally move in slow motion. Oh. You know how like you pretend to fight slow when we're kids and we're making movies or whatever, and you kind of have to reenact an action scene, and you're doing it really slow? That's how they actually film these action scenes. So Jason Statham, being in this rain, doing all these stunts in slow motion, hated doing this fucking part. Hated this with a passion. 
Well, the one person who must hate this was Etienne's unseen director because he terminates Brixton through some kind of remote kill code, basically. Yeah. Um, and now, Matt, we haven't even talked about – I can't believe we haven't mentioned this this entire podcast. We haven't talked about the fact that there is an unseen presence, an unknown presence, I should say, directing all this, a voice on a modulator. Is this something right, that is going yeah. to be revealed later? Is this Cypher? Is so, this Ryan Reynolds? Are they just setting something up here? Keanu Reeves was in negotiations. So he, he was going to be revealed. But Keanu wasn't available because I think he was working on one of the other John Wick movies or Bill and Ted something. So I think it's purposely teased and not revealed so they can get him when they need him. Because what I thought is maybe they're going to grab somebody who is just readily available. You know, like maybe it will turn out to be Letty. Maybe it will turn out to be whoever's available for that moment is who they will grab for this entity that we haven't seen running this entire thing. This is going to be whoever Cypher is working for. That's going to be the reveal. I'm calling it right now. All right. In your eyes, you think they're just waiting out Keanu to come into the suit. Positively. If not Keanu, it'll be someone else of that caliber. It'll It'll be someone we haven't seen. Yeah, I think it's going to be like a, okay. a new a new act. And do you think it's oh. – I, I know we're not done with the movie yet, but do you think that would be a sequel to Hobbs and Shaw? Or do you think they're going to incorporate it into the main franchise and, and merge the two together? It's going to be a merge because I don't see this getting a full – A full-on sequel. I don't think it's going to get a sequel anytime yeah. soon. I can see that. And honestly, I don't think it's going to merge because I don't think Vin Diesel will let any part of this leak onto uh, That's true. I think this is just its own thing. God forbid something good – Happens yeah. <laughs> to the main exactly. series. Oh my god, that exactly. doesn't come. Do your, that does, doesn't yeah. come from Vin Diesel's head. Great. <laughs> Go do your Bloodshot movie and leave everyone else the fuck alone. <laughs> yeah. And I, and oh I, god, don't don't talk about Bloodshot, please. <laughs> and I know you know this franchise is very strange, and it gets people very hyped up. One, if you love it or even like the franchise, and on the other side, if you nitpick it, people get upset too because they're just like. You know, well, what do you expect? It's a Fast and Furious franchise movie, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you know, yeah. you can still, you know, yeah, put you can... some expectations on certain things. And, Especially and, with and also you can still nitpick it in the way we have been and still enjoy it. That, yeah. you know, both things are true. Yeah. And especially when you have David Leach as a director, I think the expectation rises up. Because we're not playing at the normal Fast and Furious level at this point. At this point, David Leach has made some very sophisticated, very good action films. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it is bad to have higher expectations. My disappointment is that this didn't live up to those expectations. Mm -hmm. And everything you're talking about, Alex, should have happened in this, and it didn't. I have a theory. There's two people, if it's not Keanu, there's two people I want it to be, or or would be very excited if it was. One is Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And the other... Either Pierce Brosnan or Daniel Craig. Get an ex-Bond act. Oh, shit. Bringing Bond right back in, huh? Well, just, just fucking do it. Why not? Or, you know, get Ethan Hunt. I want all crossovers. Whatever kind of crossover <laughs> at this point, fuck it. Just, just do it. Fuck it. We do, Go we all out. Bring in we, the Avengers. I don't give a fuck. We brought up Bugs. Why not fucking get one of those little bitches in there? <laughs> it, it, it could be uh, Helen Mirren. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, see she's got the be. she's got the run of the prison that she's in. You Absolutely. know, she's got a nice view. She seems to have her finger in a lot of different pots. I mean, mm-hmm. fucking make nope, it her. I just I just figured it out. It's gonna be Hobbs's father. Oh, okay. Mm. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. See, 
Now we're gonna we're gonna leave our Reddit subgroup of fan theories and get back to the ending <laughs> of the actual movie. All right. <laughs> but the director does say he claims to know Hobbs. He says like I'll, I'll see you both really soon. Obvious tease for mm-hmm. a sequel. But yeah. So so basically from here on out, the only stuff that's left really is just Hobbs brings his daughter to meet his family. So she completes her family tree. The Shaws break their mother out of prison. Owen Shaw still nowhere to be seen. I no. thought for sure he would be here. Not even a reference, huh? No. no, it's almost like he doesn't exist. Even though we just saw him in the previous movie. Yeah. Uh, and clearly him and his brother too. were now on speaking terms. Yeah. Hobbs receives a call from his partner telling him that, oh, God, I rolled my eyes. There's another virus worse than the Snowflake virus. And that's sort of the lead-in for a possible next movie. It's just the same plot but bigger. Yes! That was so weird. We're just going to make another virus because we need to see this plot again. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. All right. So... When I watched this the second time, as Matt knows, I work nights. Mm-hmm. So I get off at about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. So I came home, watched this another time, and my chick got up, and she went in the kitchen. And as she was turning on the Keurig, these scenes with Ryan Reynolds on the phone just kept going and going mm-hmm. and going. This is when I thought that the Ryan Reynolds entry was just too much. It's just like, dude, enough already. Every time you turn around, you're on the fucking phone again. And my chick looked, and she goes... Does this movie ever end? (laughs) It was just too much, man. And if you're not going to reveal anything, you're just going to do these little bits. Enough already. Stop. Yeah. What do you think that's about, man? You have a mid-roll, and then you have a post-credit scene as well. I don't know. It is the Marvelization of all properties. Because Marvel really were the ones who started doing that on a consistent basis. You'll have your purely plot-based lead-in with one of your post-credit scenes to your future movies. And then they'll have one that's just kind of a gag. Like, I think of the cat throwing up the Tesseract in Captain Marvel, where it's like, okay, I don't give a shit. Waste of celluloid. And then you have ones where it's like the show Thanos at the end of the first Avengers, and pretty cool because they're setting something up. I think that's exactly what they're doing. Marvel is slowly imprinting on every other property, this included. But yeah, so that's kind of what we had to say about Hobbs and Shaw. So on a scale of 1 to 10... I'm going to go to Alex first, oh, if that's all right with my co-host, because I get yelled at the last, the last time I did that. You're fine. All right. On a, on a scale of this 1 to 10, Alex, fine. yeah. First time viewing. Uh, what did you think of Fast and Furious oh, Presents, Hobbs and Shaw? First time viewing it. Like I said, I, I was looking forward to it just because we are already in this universe, and I'm I'm steeped into it. I know all the players involved. I know all the beats and everything. So definitely I was looking forward to it going into this. You know, prior, the reason why I skipped it, mentioned earlier, is because I was like, ah, I'm not steeped into it. So cash grab, I don't give a fuck. But seeing it play out and now knowing that Shane Black was at some point considered for writing or directing this makes a lot of sense this is your classic quote-unquote buddy movie where they don't get along and i like their chemistry these guys work well off each other i wish the writing like you said matt like i wish the writing and the quips were better there definitely seems to be improvement as far as that goes but it still kind of works love idris elba in this and love the tech love his suit love his motor the motorcycle how he works in tandem with the motorcycle and how fluid it seems to be like almost as a part of him is just fantastic i fucking love that shit this film in a lot of ways for me is the best fast and the furious film because i think it's one of the more complete films 
in the main franchise, and it's a fucking spinoff. It doesn't have the fucking right to be as good as it is. I had a blast with this, an absolute blast, both times watching it. For me, this is an 8 on 10. It's a strong 8 on 10. I really dug this. It's up there with Fast Five. It's up there with Furious 7. And I really, really dug this movie. I love the introduction of the other agents, like Ryan Reynolds, and then the really fucking hot Mexican chick <laughs> that's later on in the movie. <laughs> it was a fan of hers. But I really dug being brought into, like, the Shaw family and never even considered fucking uh, Brother Owen over there. And that's, that's kind of fucking throwing me for a loop. And tomorrow I may feel different about it. But th- this is the strongest of eights. So... Before I turn over to you, Garrett, let me just say for the record, that was not the conclusion that I was expecting going into the show. Same. I was not, I was not expecting that. That blindsided me. I, that, that statement at all. I was bearing the lead, as it were. I was I was trying not to get my enthusiasm over so much. Because I, it, it's one thing when you're talking about a movie that you really, really dig. And the other two people, you don't know where they stand on it. And it's just weird to go out there with your enthusiasm and not get it back or just have it just fall flat. So I just, I wanted to pull real, I, I really wanted to really pull back on, on my enthusiasm. Let me ask you this, Alex, uh, what, what Liz think? Like I said, in, in previous shows, Liz loves these kind of movies mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of attachment emotionally and she's a very emotional person. So getting attached emotionally to fucking things is a, is a big deal for her. This was one viewing in which so usually watch these films in the fast and furious main series as well watch them on sundays sundays is our day we're Mm -hmm. just sitting around being lazy you know smoking a little bit of weed fucking watching these movies and they're fucking the the perfect thing to watch it's low commitment and when you have something that's low commitment you know a lot of times you can be surprised and she really dug this, and she agreed. She, th- mm. she thought this, and she was actually the first one to say that she thinks this is better than any of the other Fast and Furious franchise films, any of the entries. She was a, she was a big fan of this. Garrett, what's yours? Oh, Sorry, I'm still, I'm still collecting myself. Go ahead. <laughs> me too. Give me, give me a bit, bit of time to recover here. Is it that big um, of a surprise? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I wasn't it expecting this is. to be your favorite. I really wasn't. I was not expecting it either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just didn't want to, uh, like I said, I, I I didn't want to reveal my hand too much during the... Wow. All right. Well, about. here's the thing. If I were really excited for this, this movie would have felt like a fart in the face to me. When it came to everything I had seen on screen, I was like, okay, we're getting a bunch of dick jokes. Let's get the humor done. Let's get the Idris Elba, huge villain character going. And Alex, you and I... And Jack are going to be doing the Lethal Weapon series later on this year. And I thought about that a lot while watching this, which scares me because I have a lot of fond memories of Lethal Weapon. And I don't know coming in if I'm going to like Lethal Weapon as much as uh, I used to, because this would have been something who, if I had seen it at that time, 12, 13, as I said earlier, I would have loved this. This was kind of painful for me to get through both times I watched it. Um, really? Yeah, didn't really jive with it. I was really disappointed with David Leach, and I, I thought maybe he would bring something a little extra to this other than the propulsive action and personal action that we've seen for the past couple movies. But I'll say this. I got to meet it at this level, right? I can't be disappointed in it because this is what I've been given for eight straight films. So I'm not going to go very low. I want to go right in the middle again, give it a five, 
I think there's enough for Fast and Furious fans to really like about it. And the family stuff, yeah, it felt injected in. But in the end, it did kind of pay off for some emotional beats. And my big compliment, again, is Vanessa Kirby. It is worth seeing just for what they do with her. I think she's tremendous in this movie. I look forward to seeing if she comes back. Obviously, she will because she's a love interest of The Rock. I'm interested to see what they do with her because she is probably my favorite character of this series. Wow, uh, nice. Those are the big compliments I can give it. There's no real action scene that stands out. I thought the retinal scanner thing was just way too long. Like this movie. This movie is at least 20, 30 minutes too long. There's some editing that should have been done. The editors, this is just one of the worst editing jobs I've ever seen in a big blockbuster action film. It's inexcusable what they do here. But you know what? There's some people who, I mean, come on. What I say when I'm, we did Fast 7, cars go vroom, bombs go boom. And there's a lot of that in this. And if that's what you come to Fast and Furious for, which is why $750 or so million was made on this, then you're going to dig it. Me, who expects a little bit more of the action genre, didn't really dig it. So 5 out of 10. Now that's a bit more in line with what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> didn't mean to get so predictable on fair you, enough, Fair enough, fair enough. It's all right. Now it all evens out, so I come in and deliver the verdict. All right, here um, we go. So I think this movie's guilty in excess. It is way too fucking long. There's no justification for this being as long as it is. I really felt it on this third view. The first time, when you're in a movie theater and it's dark and you are you don't have the tendency to check your phone because you're not an asshole, movies tend to fly by a little bit better. But unfortunately, being on my couch by myself, because God knows Christian won't watch this with me. You know, really analyzing it, I found there was a lot of stuff that just didn't hold up. And it all comes down to me. When you have someone who understands or thinks they understand how to do these kind of movies, especially the Shane Black structure, and just doesn't have the, I don't want to say the ability, but don't have the polish that he does that really makes his films stand out as much as they do. Everything just feels very elementary. A lot of it's been there, done that. Everything from the plot to there's no action scene that really gets your blood going, which I think I could say about almost all of the previous movies. But what this one does have going for it that the lesser fast films do not is I feel like all the characters get enough to do. There's not too many. This is not a movie that's burdened by having too many characters. Anything doing a spinoff kind of does these guys a better service. And I'm with Garrett that Hattie is probably one of the best characters they've had at a point. And I definitely, it left me wanting more, which I hmm. was surprised to say after just being utterly dumbfounded and disappointed by number eight. But I can't call it the best and I can't call it my favorite just because I can't point to a single scene and say that's like top five in this entire series. It's unimaginative for a lot of stuff. It's unremarkable, but it's inoffensive. So when you ask me to score it on those fronts, I'd give it a soft seven. Wow, that's still higher than I was expecting. Yeah, it's it's perfectly, it's above adequate. And it doesn't do anything where I'm like, oh God, that was awful. But it doesn't do anything that made me say either I've never seen that before or it's one of the best components of the entire series. So it's sort of middle of the pack up to this point. Maybe the upper middle if I had to rank these, which I'll do later. Okay. Oh, wow. That'll be interesting ranking. I think all three of us are going to have different rankings. Speaking of bingo, that brings me to number nine, because I think that's how they wrote the script based on the trailers. Just pulled out fucking bingo cards and said, all right, <laughs> put that plot point into this movie. Reviews have started to come out. I haven't read any of them, but I do know that they're out there. They're starting to circulate. We're only a little over a month away from it being released. So now that we've taken this journey and what a road it's been, where are you guys at as far as 
going into number nine. I am excited, one, because it's an odd-numbered movie. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> since Matt brought up that uh, concept, I can't get it out of my head because it is so <laughs> fucking true in this franchise. So I think this is going to be... Although, when you did mention that the progression of the films that come out of the franchise, that this would technically be nine, it's still an offshoot. It's still not part of the original franchise. So I'm still expecting Fast 9, F9, whatever the fuck it's called, to be be great, only because it's an odd-numbered film. I, I remember seeing The Marine with John Cena, one of the WWE films that they produced, mm-hmm. and, you know, not really hating it and, and thought that it was like, all right, this is pretty much in line of what an ex-wrestler would do in this film. I didn't think it was terrible. I've liked him in some of the things that I've seen him in, but I'm not completely sold on him as a action star or just as an actor at all in the way that some other ex-wrestlers were. But who knows? Who knows? You know, they're run... I hope this is the last one because they are fucking run... They're going to run out of siblings. Then it's going to be fucking Tej's brother. And then it's going to be fucking Roman's brother. It's like, come on, stop it, guys. Let's just end this and fucking move on. Or do spinoffs. And I'm I'm fine with spinoffs, but just fucking knock it off already. Yeah, so I'm uh, more or less stoked to see it if we hadn't been doing a retrospective on this series my temperament would be lower but it's it it would still be i'm gonna go fucking see that shit so yeah oh i I can't wait to see it uh who's directing this matt uh this is justin lynn returning yeah justin lynn's returning wow all right what are my expectations jesus christ Look, this has not been the easiest retrospective to do, I'll be honest. And I'm so glad Matt has been driving these, per se, because I don't know if I'd be, I would have been able to get through it and do the plot summaries as he has. Uh, <laughs> expectations. <laughs> yeah. Expectations. Look, I, I don't have any expectations. I'm curious. What I, what I am is I'm curious as to after the huge uproar that Vin Diesel – Michelle Rodriguez and Tyrese Gibson pulled when this movie that we talked about tonight is coming out. How are they going to respond to that? You know, we're, we're, we're getting the arm wrestling match between Vin Diesel and The Rock. And this just in The Rock will win that every single fucking time. Eight was awful. This I'm not going to count as a part of that arc. So what are they going to do from there? Charlize, she's coming back, right? Yes. Okay, so she's coming back. I'm anxious to see her. But guys, I'm so worn out by these movies. I'm scared to walk up to that theater and pull the ticket and look to see that this thing's going to be over two hours. I'm dreading it. I'll be honest. I hope that I'm surprised. I hope that it pulls a fast seven where I came out impressed by what they did even if we don't have any emotional stakes as we had in that film. And even Fast Five, you know, which I gave some pretty decent marks to. That surprised me in a way that, okay, let's do something different with this. But if this is just going to be more of the same, nine, ten movies in, I'm not looking forward to this at all. And Justin Lin's coming back because why? It feels like a major thing. Like, let's just get back at The Rock for doing his little movie. I have no expectations, honestly. Zero. So, as far as me... Let me just say that, Garrett, one thing that should excite Morgan is not writing this new one. Oh, okay. Oh, All right, then this I is... just went up full, I went up tenfold. Give it to me now. <laughs> Inject it in my veins. Well, don't, don't thank me yet, because I'm going to pull up. So the writers on this, it's Justin Lin, and a gentleman by the name of Daniel Casey. But I'm going to read off his credits. Four movies that don't even have Wikipedia 
posts. I think they're like small indie films or like anthology films. He was uncredited on 10 Cloverfield Lane, and he did the movie Kin, which I believe I'm the only person on the planet who has seen. Aside from that, this guy Ken? has not... As in K-E-N? K-E-N? No, K-E-N, Ken, like Kin. Oh, it's perfect. Kin, it's a synonym for family. Oh, oh okay. wow. Look at that. Look at this. All right. So I have no clue what to expect, because at least with Chris Morgan, I know what I'm walking into. Uh, and I've liked most of the Fast movies. What else can you do? Now we got Dom's brother. By retroactively adding all this new shit, it just makes Dom even more of a hypocrite for talking about family for so long. Totally. Since we have a brother that we've never heard about. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Jadid Brewster coming back intrigues me. Oh, wow. She is coming back. So I don't know how they're going to address the Brian situation at all. Speaking of returns, Kurt Russell is going to be in this one again. Uh, Obviously, Charlize Theron. Lucas Black is coming back for this one. Um, hopefully for more than just a cameo. And as far as new people, the only one of note is Michael Rooker. Oh, he's coming. Really? Okay. Yeah, he's he's just credited as Buddy. So I'm curious where he's going to fall into this. Hmm. And Lynn did confirm that he's not only doing this one, he's doing number 10. (laughs) So they are so confident in this one that they've already greenlit the next one. Well, why not? These movies have grossed all at least 700 million, at least the last few have. Yeah. So Again, to cl- like, can they drag this out for two more films? Wow. Oh, they will. It's just a question of should they? Yeah, because at some point there's going to be a new generation of kids that fucking doesn't give a shit about this series. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just that's just how it's going to fucking play. Yeah, it's the evolution. If mm-hmm. this one stinks, mm-hmm. it's just going to reaffirm my belief that seven should have been the last one. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a spiritual finale of that whole franchise but yeah let's see what happens yeah so you know we got a little bit over a month garrett you should be relieved that we only have one more of these movies to go um (laughs) so we'll be starting some other retros which we'll we'll divulge what those are going to be very soon yes Um, oh i'm so excited i'm so excited for what we're going to be talking about in the next couple months He's just excited that we're not talking about these. It's been painful. Let's get, get through these and the Shyamalan retro, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> it's been a painful year as a part of the binge community. <laughs> well, supposedly, let's, let's not forget, we have a couple more Shyamalan movies to go, and who knows how we feel about them. That's true. true. That's true. That's true. Um, too. We got through the worst period of Shyamalan. That's purposely why we broke it into the ways that we did, because we took yep. all the generally consensus derived ones mm-hmm. and just yeah. clumped them all together. So I have to thank all of you for listening. Of course, I have to thank Garrett, my beloved co-host, for finally letting me do this. So I guess we're even now, and I'm not going to get another granted request for a foreseeable amount of time. <laughs> my beloved. <laughs> my beloved. Unless Alex is in your corner and say, yeah, I'll do it with you, so you better do it, then, yeah, you're right. <laughs> we're, we're, we're done with these for a bit. <laughs> yeah. So, boys, this has been a blast. And for the record, if anyone wants to know where that Christopher Nolan interview is, it is from the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, which I will be sending to Alex very shortly, and I'm sure he will post it <laughs> or at least spread, yes. the, Definitely. He'll spread, the, he'll spread the gospel. Absolutely. He'll spread I the need, gospel. I need to hear this immediately. So, boys, thank you for listening. And listeners, until next time, I am indeed the future of this planet, and I'm the necessary podcast to the system. Thanks, guys. See ya.
the room, me and my crew, and it was cool until we bumped into you. Which one of these things is a dollar? It says something about. The Binge Aftertaste is produced by Garrett and Matt. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. No crust. No crust. So now we got cars flying in the air on some 007 type shit? This is not what we do. Voice narration done by Adam. You don't turn your back on family. Even when they do. Edited by Garrett. You know what DK stands for? Donkey Kong. Drift King. That could have been my forehead, man. No, that's not as big as your forehead. I used to say I lived my life a quarter mile at a time. And I think that's why we were brothers. Because you did too. One, to finally scratch it off the list, for sure. Yeah, and you know what? Again, the fact that there are at least a dozen predators. Uh, predators. And let's not forget, this is the band who said yes to Cats. So I have to, I have to knock them a bit for that. <laughs> Which, by the way, Cats is one of the movies everyone should see once because you will never see anything like it ever again. <laughs> I'm saving that for a mushroom trip night. <laughs> just, just really, yeah, just really get in there and uh, freak myself out. You're wondering, where's the guys we came to see? Well, you get Brian De Palma-esque uh, <laughs> cuts in the middle with Hobbs and Shaw sort of doing their daily routines. Mm-hmm. You know, That's they so both funny. get out of bed. 
That's so funny because I just watched the Untouchables for the first time. So <laughs> the Palma reference made me laugh pretty hard. It's a good call. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite cliches, though, does exist where Jason Statham. God damn it. I'm, do, I'm doing the fast sex thing where I call them by their actor names. And there's so many fucking Shaws in this movie. There I really just is. Call them Jason yeah. Shaw or Decker <laughs> Statham. Like. <laughs> You're right. The restrictions of it, everything that made the John Wick movies actually work for me is not working here because of the restrictions. Oh, uh, Scarrow, jump in. Mm, yeah, I, I just don't. I don't. I, I'd never considered it, so it, it's not really something I thought about. So, mm. all right, no worries. <laughs> the spectacle is going on the entire time. Mm-hmm. It also would have been better if these were people I had known for more than ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Matt, say that again because you kind of you kind of trailed off a little bit. Say Sorry. I also wish they had done it with. Owen Shaw still nowhere to be seen. I no. thought for sure he would be here. Not even a reference, huh? No. no, it's almost like he doesn't exist. Even though we just saw him in the previous movie. Yeah, uh, and clearly him and his brother were now on speaking terms. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and Hobbs and, receives and a call. The, Go ahead. We're on the closing. We're on the closing credits now, right? Or no? We're not there. No, yet. I I have one last bit okay. where it's okay. Uh, Hobbs receives a call from. His... I remember him from. I forget that. Uh, oh, fuck the one comedy that we was in. Uh, Blockers. No, the one with the kids. Oh uh, God! Playing with fire. No, it, it it was him and two other dudes. They had like teenage daughters. What, blockers. What, blockers. There you go. It was blockers. That's what I said the first time. You I thought you said. Me. I thought you said walkers, and I'm like, no. that is <laughs> not a movie. First of all, and second of all, um, yeah. So blockers. Um, so I I. That's purposely why we broke it into the ways that we did, because we took yep. all the generally consensus derived ones mm-hmm. and just yeah. clumped them all together. <laughs> and you guys aren't doing yeah. Devil, right? No. No, because he didn't direct it. Right, right. He okay. didn't direct it. Yeah. Um, although it would just give me an excuse to yell Jelly Side Down for an hour and a half, because I, I, <laughs> I, I, I yelled that in my house like for the past decade, and Christian still has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Much like Vin Diesel, no one knows what he's really saying, so it's perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's put the I gospel. Need, I need to hear this immediately. Where the hell my where'd my closing line go? I just had it. Oh, he lost his closing line. <laughs> where is it? You lost your closing line? There's so many lines in this. So many <laughs> yeah, they all, lines most of them say. suck though. <laughs> All right, so, so boys, thank you for listening. And listeners, until next time, I am indeed the future of this planet, and I'm the necessary podcast to the system.
You've been listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network at BingeMedia.net. Support the show by donating on Patreon at Patreon.com slash BingeMedia. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And don't forget... Shut up! I'm waiting.